Hey guys, and welcome to a brand new episode of Nerds Talk Movies. My name is Taylor. I have returned to Nerds Talk Movies to talk all kinds of spoilers for Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. We're going to be talking about some Phase 5, our thoughts on where the franchise is going next, what we thought about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. It's going to be a, it's going to be a fun time, I'll say that. And joining me on this fun time is none other than Drew Garrison. Drew, how you feeling today? I'm feeling pretty good. How about you? Man, I'm doing pretty damn good myself, man. Uh, I will say, I'm not used to us just doing episodes by ourselves. What yeah, was it's it? a little like weird. Rogue One? The last time we did this? Yeah, it was Rogue One, and it's, uh, we, were, we were talking about like how it was like basically the best thing to come out of Disney Star Wars for a bit. Hey, I stand by that. <laughs> At least movies. At least movies. I'll say Yeah, that. M- movies. <laughs> I think Mandalorian does an okay job for... Mandalorian for a lot of people and or Clone Wars. I didn't hate Obi-Wan as much as everybody else. And I don't think any of us did, but on this... I didn't hate Obi-Wan. I just felt like they they were a little too liberal with some of the stuff that they did. It's like, okay, you have to really, really stretch that this takes place with the OT now. Let's talk about what we're watching today. You saw the title. You know the deal. We're going to be talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Here's a synopsis for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, courtesy of IMDb. Quote, Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne, along with Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne, explore the quantum realm where they interact with strange creatures and embark on an adventure that goes beyond the limits of what they thought was possible. End quote. And here is some of the main cast for the film, along with director and writer credits. Again, this is coming from IMDb. It was directed by Peyton Reed. It was written by Jeff Loveness. It was created by Jack Kirby. Paul Rudd plays Scott Lang, a.k.a. Ant-Man. Evangeline Lilly plays Hope Van Dyne, a.k.a. The Wasp. Michelle Pfeiffer returns to play Janet Van Dyne. We have Michael Douglas as Dr. Hank Pym, Catherine Newton as Cassie Lang, Corey Stoll as Darren Cross slash Modoc. we'll talk about that, and Jonathan Majors as Kang the Conqueror. So in the months leading up to its release, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania gained a lot of hype behind it. But why? Was it because Phase 4 left a lot to be desired? Was it because it was the start of a new phase and the unofficial start of the multiverse saga? Was it because Jonathan Majors was going to make his big screen debut as Kang the Conqueror, the new big bad for the MCU that would be this cinematic universe's next Thanos? In all honesty, it's probably a mixture of all those things and more. First reactions to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania were positive enough most of them mentioning how menacing Kang the Conqueror was, while also talking about the movie being a fun time. But as the review embargo was lifted, reactions became a bit more critical. A lot has been said about the film's Rotten Tomatoes score among critics, and as of this recording, I believe it is tied with Eternals for the worst-rated MCU movie ever. Wow, people, really? God, (laughs) that's wild, actually. Uh, Now, it should be said that Rotten Tomatoes scores aren't the end-all, be-all, and a lot of people really put too much faith in these scores, in my opinion. The scoring system 
also is incredibly stupid, but we're not going to be getting into that here in the prelude. Uh, so this is, is this a dud for the MCU already? Don't be so sure about that. The audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, along with the general reception online, seems to be much more positive than what many critics have said about the film. For comparison, this kind of seems like the opposite of Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Critics adored that movie, and the general audience, let's, let's just say they didn't enjoy it so much. A.K.A. we're right. Drew, without getting into your thoughts on the film, I gotta ask, do you have any thoughts on the reception to Ant-Man and the Wasp's Quantumania so far? Are you surprised to see this movie be weirdly so divisive? Honestly, yes and no. So I was surprised when it happened, but then when I thought about it, I remember how everyone was hyping up an Ant-Man movie. No offense to Paul Rudd, he plays Ant-Man very well, and uh, Evangeline, she plays the Wasp very well. However, this is still an Ant-Man movie. These are like the these are like the stuff you go to for just a relaxing movie experience, not really like, oh, this is going to enhance the situation of the MCU towards a major degree. This is literally like his first super plot-heavy movie that actually has plot stakes in the entire MCU. So I can understand it to a degree, especially since this is Kang's major debut. It's like all we got before was Loki's uh the the man at the end of time and basically the he who remains. But I I it's like I understand it to a degree because there was a lot of hype but at the same time I I went in with very varied expectations. And honestly, it was it was better than what I thought because Phase Four didn't give me a lot to hope for, but it was still better than what I thought. I mean, calm down, guys. This isn't Eternals level bad. Just getting a little bit into my general thoughts, I didn't really care for this movie all that much. It was fun. I don't think it's nowhere near as bad as people would think it is, but I think it causes some issues I have for the direction of Phase Five. And not in the sense that, oh, just because it didn't go the way you want it to. No, in a way that I just don't think is good. Like, in terms of what you, the story that you're telling, I'm not really caring for it so far. Uh, so, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Some of it's Ant-Man related, some of it's overall MCU related. And we'll probably start by talking about the ending of the movie first, because it's kind of hard not to. <laughs> Uh, but before we get into any of that, we got to talk about some comic connections. Drew, what kind of comic connections can you make from Ant-Man and the Wasp's Quantumania to the comics? I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of damn Kang in your comic connections. There's a lot of Kang in the connections. I do got to say, though, that for the Ant-Man connections, though, before we get into Kang... For the Ant-Man connections, I am not that big of a fan of Ant-Man. It's like, I like Scott Lang Ant-Man, but Hank Pym Ant-Man, he's one of those characters that I just like, ooh, you guys never, ever really recovered him from some uh, stuff you've done. If you know, you know. I feel like it's become more public knowledge, or more of the general public knows, like, oh, so Hank Pym is not necessarily the best written Ant-Man. I would say. I say as somebody who's knows nothing about this, I'm sorry if I'm talking out my ass. Yeah, like, okay, so for those of you who don't know, basically, uh, Hank, su- Hank is a character who they had suffered many mental breakdowns, in a, is the best way I can put it. 
And uh, he's done some stuff. Like, he's literally threatened the Avengers' lives multiple times to make himself seem like a better hero. And uh, he, also, when Janet confronted him about him, he uh, hit her. And uh, I don't remember if they ever actually addressed that ever. It's one of the, like, the big things of Hank Pym that I dislike. And then his Ultimate Universe counterpart, which, became, which the Ultimate Universe got very popular and a lot of the MCU was based off it. He's worse. <laughs> he is. He, he's worse. He he one time shrunk down Janet to her wasp size and then tried to torture her with bug spray and roaches. That's a sentence. Yeah, it's like Hank. It's like Hank has suffered from people writing him just to be the worst, and then he never really went through a full redemption arc. And what's worse is that he's also suffered from like well he's supposed to be better now but then it's like ah oh, no he he's actually supposed to be a piece of crap like he'll he'll willingly kill people if it get if it means getting the job done and oh look there's ultron he's gonna he's fused with him now and it's it's a whole thing mm-hmm. yeah also he created ultron so that's also a nip like i know in the mcu it was tony in the comics it was hank and he has made it worse every time in MCU, it was Tony and Bruce. In the comics, it's Hank and Tony, right? No, it's just, it's it's just, just Hank. Hank. Okay. Yeah, Tony has nothing to do with making a Voltron. But, getting out of that, so that way we can get on with this uh, spoiler talk. Yeah. Yeah, so, like I said, don't know a lot of Ant-Man stuff because of that. But, I do know that for Scott's history, there's Avengers 181, and Marvel premiere 47 was his first appearance as Ant-Man. Uh, with with Hope, she is relatively due. She was introduced during all new, all different uh, Marvel and stuff. And uh, she's relatively she's relatively new. I She's very aged up because she's supposed to be a teenager in the comics. But she's very aged up now in the MCU. So there's that. Uh, basically, she was introduced in her own uh, Wasp series. For Kang, however, <laughs> oh my god, so many Easter eggs of the different introductions of Kang. Oh my god. Okay, so this, so the Kang we get here is traditional Kang. The traditional the Conqueror. His first appearance was actually in Avengers number 8. He also has different forms that we see in the post credit scenes. We've got a Mortis Kang, Rama Tut Kang, Scarlet Centurion Kang, and uh, I think those are the main three we see. So I'm gonna go through them. For Immortus, he appeared in Avengers number ten back in 1964. For Rama Tut, he appeared in Fantastic Four number 19, and technically he is the first Kang we ever meet. Uh, yeah, this is before he got the name Kang. And then there's the Scarlet Centurion, although he's very less Scarlet in uh, the MCU. Uh, he appeared in Avenger- Avengers Annual number 2 in 1968. As for the Quantum Manium story, we are dealing with the Quantum Realm, which is its own thing. This is something in the Ant-Man stories, and this was kind of when they were trying to push Ant-Man to be more like the Atom. So the Quantum Realm, if I can remember, because I remember... It first appeared in, uh, what was it? This is times I kind of wish I had Tristan, because I know he would know this like off the top of his head or something. Oh, both of you uh, combined, you guys are unstoppable. Yeah, um, the Quantum Realm is called the uh, Microverse in the comics. 
So maybe that's why I'm having a problem. The microverse. Okay, yeah, the microverse first appeared. Oh yeah, it was in Captain America number twenty six. It but um it has been irreparably tied to uh Ant Man and stuff because he's the one who can actually visit it. And there's been some times where it just shrink where um the Fantastic Four go there because they go everywhere. But basically, it's the microverse from uh the comics for anyone wondering and yes it was a captain america number 26 in 1943 Ooh, i gotta start writing down our comic connections <laughs> that, would, that would probably save us some time i got one last question before we get into our general thoughts real quick what about victor timely the version of king we see in the post-credit scene with loki and mobius oh my god i had totally forgotten about that Thank you for reminding me. So, Victor Time So Victor Timely, yes, is another variant of Kang the Conqueror. For I remember, he first appeared in Avengers 1993. I think it was called The Terminix Objective. But he is a variant of Kang and that's his first appearance and basically he is a time traveler who just tried to buy his own his own little space in Kang's uh, in Kang's um, Citadel, his Time Citadel, which basically exists outside of time, or in a specific space in space-time where he, they go back and forth with it. But it exists in basically a specific space in space-time that allows it to basically connect to all time, and he basically bought land there and just had his own space there. He basically wants to, you guessed it, take over the world. All Kangs want this. Except Immortus. Maybe pin on maybe immortus goes back and forth let's get into our spoiler talk for ant-man and the wasp quantum mania now there's two ways we can go about this drew we can get our general thoughts out now or we can talk about the mcu elephant in the room because this movie does set up things for phase five yes it does i think we should just get our general thoughts that way when we talk about the I agree. Big elephant. That way, at least we get some Ant-Man talk in this spoiler talk before, you know, probably an hour. Yeah. <laughs> we're done. Uh, so I'll get my thoughts. It feels like you liked the movie more than me. I thought the movie was fine. I actually, again, I'm basing the movie based off of what we saw. I'm just wanted to point this out. I do think the trailers painted a better version of the movie than what the movie actually did. Yeah. With Scott's arc being in the trailer, what you think it would be is he lost so much time with Cassie, and that was the offer that Kang was giving him. And in the movie, it's just, no, I, I took your daughter, go do this, or I'm going to torture And I don't feel like... Scott's arc in this movie is more so that he's been resting on what happened in Endgame, and he's been getting popular and making money off of that, and he hasn't been looking out for the little guy. So the movie kind of, I guess his arc is he is relearning to be a hero again, to be that guy. And I guess it's all right, but at the same time, I feel like it wasn't done as well as I would have liked it. Like, it felt like it was everything in this movie is secondary whenever Kang comes on screen, which is great for Jonathan Majors because everybody's been saying it, and they're right, I think. He's the best part of this movie. He kills it. By far. Uh, Kang and Jonathan Majors portraying Kang are the best parts of this movie. But at the same time, unfortunately, I think Kang's presence in this movie fucks over the entire Ant family. And any kind of fun family dynamic they have, 
any kind of character development for any of the Ant Family people. Janet Michelle Pfeiffer also crushes it, but at the same time, I was kind of annoyed with her the first hour of the movie because they were building up Kang, but there was a point where I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking, for the love of fucking God, just say Kang. That's who you're scared of. I know who you're talking about. Everybody's seen these trailers. Everybody's <laughs> seen the trailers. Everybody's been on the internet to know who he is. Just and, say and We're saying name. this facetiously. There are some people who legit don't know what's going on who are going to see this movie. But at the same time, it was one of those things where it's like, I get it, but you're also hurting your family by not just telling them what's going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but again, this was also, I think it's overheated of a movie at the same time. It was a fun movie. I have a lot of issues, especially with MODOK, but uh, we'll get there. I will say I think the cast really do a good job. I think the action pieces up to the third act are pretty fun as well. Uh, but honestly, a lot of stuff like the rebellion going on against King, I feel like that's unnecessary. William Jackson Harper, I feel like it's wasted in this movie. And getting to Modoc, I feel like he's wasted in this movie. There's no point for him, really. And maybe if you just strip some of that out and make it more of a character-focused family dynamic, it would have been better structured, but I don't know. What do you think of this movie? So, I'm right around there with you. I think this movie is just okay. I like the fact that they toned it down with trying to replace older MCU heroes and stuff. They allowed Cassie not to be just this, oh, I can do everything, I can do everything you can do and more thing that they do whenever they introduce a new hero. And it's like, okay. You're right. But the MCU, especially the past few years, it feels like any teenager is now this unbelievable genius who can build anything out of a box of scraps. Yeah. That is what, that is one thing I did not like it. Well, I won't say I didn't like Cassie being a genius because uh, that's how she like is in the comics and everything. She's kind of a genius. She took her dad's formula and everything. She's not like genius, genius. She is in the MCU. She's more of I'm more of a uh, smarter than my dad is. I'm less of a thief. I'm more of a normal genius and stuff. But it's like Which people forget Scott's also supposed to be a genius, according he... to the first Ant-Man movie. Yeah, he's supposed to he's supposed to be a very good problem solver. Like I put him on the level of Peter being a guerrilla scientist. Peter well, in the wasn't comics, he like an way. engineer or something? They said in the first movie. It's been a while. I yeah, I can't remember. I I never rewatched the Ant Man movies, so I can't remember. Yeah. yeah, but um, I will say like what she has as a genius, she it makes up for by her not being just oh I can just do everything my dad can. Without problem and every, without problems and everything, and I do love the uh, relationship that the two have. What I don't like about her, and this is like my few gripes, is one: she tries to shame her dad, who just wants to relax after literally being stuck away from her for five years of her life, being stuck in the quantum realm, and he just wants to relax and kind of sort of retire. It's like, why are you getting on him for like just wanting to enjoy what he has in his life after he literally? lost five years of his life with you i see what you mean and to a point i get it maybe it's execution but i feel like the movie does go and try to help cassie out there because she goes like i get it you saved the world and you brought everybody back but that was also years ago i i love that you're you know it sounded like hey i love that you're relaxing and everything 
but she was more concerned about like him just getting complacent, you know? So it came across as less preachy, like, hey, dad, you should do something, and more, like, concerned, like, I don't want my dad just to sit here forever and become complacent. But maybe that's more in the execution of it. Yeah, it's like, it's not like I fully hate it, it's like, I understand it and everything, but it's like, I do think, like, it was just executed not right, it's like, it's not egregious, I can understand what they were trying to do, though. So I can fully go into that. The other thing I dislike was, uh, ironically, Hank, which I guess is normal for me. He likes ants. He likes ants. He likes them a lot. Maybe a little too much. But uh, what I what I dislike is that it's kind of, I there's always been like Hank doesn't fully respect Scott. It's like, okay, that's part of their dynamic. They, he does respect him, but he's never going to like admit it and everything. That's cool. Then he's like, oh, yeah, I've been doing experiments with your daughter. By the way, I gave her I gave her a suit and everything. And I'm like, no, 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 Hank, what the hell? That's it got it gets on me where it's like, OK, there's a fine line between the playfulness of going against a parent and then doing something that's really against what they wanted, which like also, hey, we got them out. of I got her out of jail and everything multiple times. And it's like, that's the kid. He literally he literally was like the first thing. He was concerned about when he got back and everything. And you're just like, oh, yeah, I totally just uh, to help her out. Also, she's been to jail multiple times. I'm not telling you any of this. And it's like, I thought you at least respected him. You don't even respect him anymore. Yeah, I kind of get what the movie was also going for because they were going for. We don't see fully what happened in between Endgame to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. We do see, like, the finished product that, like, this is now the Ant family, basically. Yeah. And I do really love that dynamic to where they feel like they're tucked away in their own little corner of the MCU. And it somehow seems like more stable of a family than a lot of other families in the MCU, which is fucking hilarious to me. That said, I feel like we did miss some things that maybe, and this goes back to what I think this movie does, and this isn't Clash of the Stash. I'm not here to continuously keep going like, oh, they could have done this, this, and this. I just can't help myself whenever I'm like, if you cut this part out, maybe you focused on what happened in between Endgame and this, to tell me how this fam- family dynamic came to be, or show more stuff between the family members, because... Hope, Hank, and Janet are split off from Scott and Cassie the entire movie, pretty much. Yeah. Hope gets nothing to do this entire movie, either, by the way. But there's this part at the end where Hank's telling Scott that he read every page of the book, which is a great moment because it's like, oh, man, there you go. Like, that's basically his father-in-law, and it's kind of like an accepting moment, finally, to where, like you said, Drew... Both characters have been kind of at odds at several points during the Ant-Man movies. So it felt like a finally accepting of each other there is, hey, we're family. But I don't really feel anything towards that because I'm like, oh, I feel like I missed a scene or two here at the very least. Yeah, especially because they don't get to interact until that moment. And again, we hear, hey, he kind of like kept Cassie's secrets from him. And it's like important secrets like she's been to jail. That's not something you should ever keep secret, by the way. Yeah, jail is pretty lenient, I guess, in the MCU because they just treat it like I've been in jail three times. I've been in jail twice. It's like, all right, well. I get Scott because it's like he's an ex-con. But for Cassie and everything. 
Yeah, and he's a fuck up as well. Like I guess it basically was trying to go like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree and showing how similar the two are and Cassie one of the things I do love is it's not necessarily like it's kind of hard because the blip changed things in the MCU and I feel like that a lot of times they make it out to be like a joke thing but yeah. I do love how in this movie it was hey she was by herself for five years yeah she's not a grown adult but at the same time it's kind of hard to come back and be the parent when she's pretty much been her own parent for five years. Yeah. It's, so it's one of those very difficult things. I'm glad the movie kind of went like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to helicopter parent you. You know what you're doing. But at the same time, stuff like you were talking about with the uh, jail part. And that's where I was like, oh, what? that should be more serious than a played off joke. But that's more of an MCU thing that I think we're going to get into later. This movie yeah. wasn't as bad. I, everybody's been saying that. I think they're right. This movie is nowhere near as bad with the making jokes left and right and center. So we kind of just went all around the place on our general thoughts. That was probably the most in-depth we've been on our general thoughts. Uh, but before we get into talking about the MCU as a whole and getting into the ending of the movie, got to talk about some standout performances. For me, Jonathan Majors and Paul Rudd and Michelle Pfeiffer. These three carry the movie on their backs to me. They all do a splendid job. Paul Rudd, who always... I feel like he's kind of a little underappreciated because of how good Jonathan Majors is as Kang. Yeah. But as somebody who is mostly known for... Yeah, everybody loves Paul Rudd. He's funny and he's Scott Lang is so comedic and all that. He did a really good job in the emotional moments. That made you go like, oh shit, I actually would not mind seeing a different side to Scott Lang going forward. And that's where I thought the ending was going to go. And I still think they are, but that's one of the few times that I felt that the movie had a joke where it should have just ended. Where they, oh shit, that got real. Yeah. Uh, but we'll get there. So my big three are Jonathan Majors as Kang, obviously Paul Rudd as Scott, but I think the I think the other one that I think isn't called out as much is that uh, Catherine Newton as Cassie Lang. I did not expect to feel like there was a standout performance with Cassie, but it's like Cassie is not, not only consistently portrayed, but it's like I think Catherine does a good job of showing how Ca how Cassie um, has adapted to life and how different she is. And I do love the fact that um, she's not fully used to her abilities and everything. It's like she can't really do it um the same way scott can who has training and he has his own style different from uh different from hope's style of fighting and everything i do question why hank didn't give her wings like i get it's a comic thing like she doesn't have wings in the comics but it's like i've always questioned if you can give them the ability to fly why do you never let them have that ability <laughs> Yeah, but um yeah those are my three standout performances so really do i really do think paul rudd needs more credit as scott and everything he's had to play this jokey joke character who everybody loves and it's like he needs some emotional mo he needed more emotional moments and i think in endgame that's where i saw he could have them because the moment he sees cassie it's like every emotion's written on his face he's like i can't believe i missed five years but i'm so glad to see you're okay i am just so glad to see you're okay it's like the all that in his face and i was like paul rudd is way better than anyone recognizes i agree and that part wherever he's seeing all the possibilities of himself 
I know there's some comedy in there too, but there's also a lot of good drama stuff there. Yeah. I would love to see Ant-Man going forward a little more where he is at the end of the movie, where he's like, oh shit, what did I just do? Did I just screw over the world? Did I screw over the universe? And just more of that existential crisis that he has, I guess, would be a nice change of pace for the character. But uh, we'll see. Ironically, I thought like when they had him stuck, when they had him and Hope up in the quantum realm, I thought, oh, it's like so. Um, Cassie's gonna have to move on to either the Young Avengers or the Champions, whichever they're going. I think they're going Young Avengers because it's mostly the Young Avengers lineup. But since they also have Miss Marvel, who's definitely going to be a part of it, it could be Champions since Miss Marvel's known for the Champions. But with them working like being stuck in the quantum realm, I was like, oh, so this is going to be their story stuck in the quantum realm together. And it's like we're going to see how they rebuild this place, possibly a threat coming from this place or needing to be the warriors who are going to like rule this place and maybe go against Kang, Kang's variants and stuff. And it's like, nope, they get out right away. And I'm like... Almost immediately. Yeah, it's like immediately. That was kind of anticlimactic. To kind of steal a catchphrase from a very, very excellent content creator, it was super easy, barely an inconvenience. (laughs) Shout out to Pitch Meetings. But uh, let's talk about the MCU as a whole here, because the ending of this movie sees Kang the Conqueror get put into the time device and the mid credit scene seems like the other Kangs believe he's dead. Scott goes back to the re- regular world, and for a second he's happy, everything's going great. And then whenever he gets the cake for Cassie and he's walking back, he realizes, like, oh shit, what if this wasn't the last time we saw a Kang? He kept talking about all these other versions of him, like, what if they're actually worse? What if the Kang we thought is dead is still out there? And... It's this huge tease for like what's to come for the future of the MCU. I think a lot of the issues too with why people are ratting so, let's just say not positively about this movie is because Phase 5 goes, hey, Kang's a big deal. Nah, he maybe died. (laughs) So, And he got possibly beaten up by a bunch of ants and then got killed by Ant-Man and the Wasp. That's not a great first impression. Yeah, when I, when um I was about to go see this movie, my friend actually contacted me and he says, "Oh dude, I think this is an Infinity War situation from from it's like I found like the uh it was called the something script. I'm not sure what it what it's called, but it was basically like I found this and it seems like can it seems like there's going to be a Infinity War situation." I'm like, "They're going to kill Scott, aren't they?" <laughs> and I went into that thinking like, "Oh, they're going to kill Scott so that way Cassie becomes the new Ant-Man or Giant or Giant Man or whatever." I think that would have been better, to be honest, with the story they were telling. Honestly, I think it would have been better when they, when I saw them stuck in the quantum realm. I was like, okay, so she's gonna have to like take over for her father, be like the new super, the new Ant Man in the uh, in the regular world, while his her father's stuck in the quantum realm to eventually come back or something. And it's like, okay, I can live with, I can live with that and everything. But I also like agree, like Kang should not have been beaten first time around, and honestly. He went down way too easily, considering how OP he was throughout the movie. He basically had hardcore telekinesis, and it's like, he never uses it to win. Well, his tech does get destroyed. 
So it makes him just a very smart individual who also knows how to fight, which is better than Ant-Man already. Because here's the thing, as much as I dislike them potentially killing off this Kang, he kicked Scott's ass. Like, yeah, it was he... not close. This was an ass whooping from start to finish. But for the story they were telling, this isn't me, me going like what I what I would do and how I would do this movie completely differently. For the story that they were telling with Scott Lang, I think the ending of this movie would have flowed a lot better if Scott Lang would have died and if it would have got his family out. Because at the end of the day, that's what Scott Lang has always cared about more than anything else. Is his He's family. Don Toretto. Yes, he is Dom Toretto, but he, all he cares about is family, his daughter, his his girlfriend slash fiance slash wife. I'm not really sure what they really were in this movie. His, I thought they were married. Uh, are they not married? I might have missed that. I might have missed that. Maybe they are, but they've been together for quite a while. And also Janet and Hank, he cares about them too. So he just wanted his family to be safe. And for... I think the ending to be, and for the character arc of Scott to be like, you know what, I have one last heroic adventure left in me. I'm going to make sure that this guy is going to stick in the quantum realm, even if it kills me and my family can go and prepare. I feel like that would have been a way more poignant ending. And stuff like what they're doing in the MCU now, to where they're letting these younger heroes be the new legacy characters. This is the time I think you should have done it. <laughs> they said no. And this is also coming from two, at least me. I don't know how you felt about my uh, the idea to kill off Scott here. But this is coming from me, who I just went, Paul Rudd's amazing. And I would love to see a more emotional version. I think I would rather just see what we got and then see the end of his arc. But Yeah, I can understand that. It definitely felt like this was a movie where a death was necessary to solidify Kang as a threat. Or just do him doing something so irreparably damaging. Yeah. Death isn't always necessary for stakes. We said this in our Daredevil retrospectives. That you don't always need to kill somebody off. But you need to do something to make the villain intimidating. And while Jonathan Majors pulls that performance off very well. When you come to... Like, okay, what actions did he actually do in this movie to make him this Thanos-like threat? Nothing. Nothing really. And the MCU keeps going, wait till the next version. Wait till the next version of Kang. I've waited. And I'm going to be real with you. These other versions of Kang, Ramatut, Immortus, and Scarlet Centurion, I kind of think they look a little goofy. They do. <laughs> I don't really know how that's going to translate to the general public. And them going like, oh man, he's going to be just as intimidating as King the Conqueror was. So I hope the plan is, and... This is where I go back into a fan theory. I'm sorry. I hope the plan is for Kang to come back in Secret Wars and be the big bad of Secret Wars and just let Kang Dynasty be the other Kangs. That would honestly make it work and everything. It also shows how annoying it is to face him considering, oh, we killed you before. Oh, yeah, that was another me. <laughs> it's, that, that's how Kang is in the story. And then they act like, oh, but they're all the same person. It's a, it's a very annoying thing with Kang in the comics. But talking about the future of the MCU, I haven't really gotten your full thoughts on it here. What do you think is the reason why a lot of people are, I guess, hating on this movie as much as they are? And what are your personal thoughts on where the Phase 5 is going to take us? 
Personally, I think the reason like people are hating on this movie is just be, is also a lot of fallout from Phase Four. Phase Four wasn't a great transition. It it had some great movies. Like technically, I think technically the only movie that really knocked it out of the park for Phase Four was No Way Home, and that technically wasn't even the MCU. It was more of like, oh, it was it was because of the the um other two Spider Man came. It's like it's like let's be honest. It's like that's the reason why the movie did so well. It was that, plus bringing back the villains, plus taking Tom Holland's Spider-Man and maturing him in a way. To he's less Iron Man Jr. and more of the Spider-Man people were expecting. I think it's just because so much went wrong with Phase 4 that Phase 5 really was hyped up to knock it out of the park. And this was not the knock out of the park Phase 5 needed to like set up their villain and everything. Have it be like, oh, this is going to be the next Thanos. Thanos, the reason why, like, he was hyped up a bit was not only because of his comic presence, but because he was basically entrenched in the MCU since Avengers. It's like, we saw him at the end credit scene, he was a threat to Ronan, even with the Power Stone in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Gamora had personal ties with him. There was so much that allowed us to, like, know Thanos was gonna be, like, one of the main big bads. And then his first appearance, he beat up a Hulk. That is, like, major stage presence. This Kang guy, the stage presence we got for him is that both times we've seen him, he died. So it's just, we don't have that stage presence for Kang to feel like, oh, he's going to be a threat to the entire multiverse and everything. He he needs a movie where he either wins or does something so irreparable that even the thought of just one more of him freaks you out. The thought of a literal council of him should make you all just say nope and want to... Run the other way. Just want to add, he who remains died. Kang allegedly died. Just want to add that correction in there. See, the moment that they had the other versions of him say that he died, at best he's stuck in the engine, in which case there's now a million of him plus. Which is far more menacing than any of the versions I saw in that. Which I get it's also from a comic, which I have seen that comic it looks fucking great. I do like a lot of stuff from what they adapted to it, down to the last Kang you see being like the shriveled version. Really cool shit. But my problem with the mid credit scene is everything we saw from Kang felt like a real fucking character with actual motivations and a little bit of, I don't want to say nobility, but when he was talking to Janet at the beginning in the flashbacks, and he was like, I will bring you right after you said goodbye to your daughter. She will never know you were even gone. And I will not mess with your world. I kind of got the feeling that he was telling the truth. Same. I really did think yeah. like he was telling the truth. And, and that made and that made me like Janet all the more. Because it's like, I want that. But I can't let yeah, you. But sh- yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's one of those... That's the stuff that I've fucking dug from this movie. When you put Scott or Janet in those situations. And Kang came across as this bad guy. He's a horrible person. But at the same time, there's that little bit of him that's like, I'm, look, you did right by me. I'm not going to screw over your universe. All right. I'm going to leave you be. I'm going to help you out. Mm-hmm. And that's what it felt like also with the trailers that was going to happen with Scott. And then when we get to the movie, Nah, I'm just going to torture Cassie unless you do what I want. It's not as, you know, 
three-dimensional as I kind of would have wanted it to be, even though Kang as a character overall is a three-dimensional character. And getting to that mid credit scene and why I didn't dig it as much is I don't feel like a Mortis Scarlet Centurion or Rama's Hut are going to be that. They honestly aren't that. Like, the whole thing with the different variants was that Kang is the big bad. It's like him and Immortus are the two big ones, but it's always Kang is the more operative threat because he he literally has all of time under his control. You never know when he's going to show up. You never know what he can do. And normally you need one of his variants that are good on your side to really take him down. So it's a whole th- it's a whole thing with that. It feels like with this version of Kang and everything, like like we keep repeating and everything, it's just there wasn't enough for him. It's like we got a lot of good stuff with his character, but now we're dealing with alternate variants who might not have that. Yeah. And you can go back to He Who Remains too, Drew. He Who Remains felt like this character who at one time seemed sane. And then just being isolated and pruning timelines. It's just driven him batshit crazy. And he's just emoting and just being this very outward character. And this version of Kang we get is much more subdued. He's much more elegant. He's so just... He has this way with his words. And he's also very demanding. Like, yeah. that's different from he who remains. Who gave them a choice. Yeah. And what to do. And that's the stuff that I think people are really loving from Jonathan Majors. And where I'm just concerned with the Kang dynasty, I'm going to call them here, is they don't come across as they had the potential for that. Because they come across as, hey, look, they're mainly going to be the costumes. Yeah. And whatever they pretty much give Jonathan Majors, like, hey, here's what this version of the character is. Go for it. And he's going to act his ass off. He's going to do a damn good job. I don't mind also if these Kangs are like the villains for Kang Dynasty. I just hope they're not the villains for Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. Because that feels like a waste when we had this guy who I felt like was better than all three of the other ones combined. Yeah. This is more of a, it's less of a complaint, more of a concern that could be really damn good whenever we see those two Avengers movies. Or we could be sitting here years later going, Fuck, that was a waste of potential of yeah. King the Conqueror. How did he not come back? Yeah, I also feel like there's also the concern with Phase 5 as a whole with us. Who's still an Avenger? I think that's like up at the ear for a bit and everything. It's like we don't, where a lot of the stuff we have set up and everything, we know Shang-Chi is an Avenger, and that was the only concern. after, Sp- And that was the only confirmed for a while. Spider-Man... This is the confirmation he's still an Avenger and stuff because we, because it's like his uh, spell is so weird that for a lot of people, they didn't even know if like is Spider Man still an Avenger was just Peter Parker considered one. Getting into what you're talking about, like who leads the Avengers, you got Shang-Chi, you got Doctor Strange, you got Captain America. And after that, I am honestly not too sure. Is there any other Avengers still out there? Scarlet Witch uh, is dead, and she turned on him. Is Hulk coming back? Like Hulk? Yeah. Yeah, because Jen is not an Avenger, and honestly, I kind of hope she doesn't become one. No Wasp offense. Wasp is another one. Yeah, Wasp is, Wasp is another one. Technically, she's an Avenger, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think anybody who helped out with Endgame can officially be called an Avenger at this point. So um, the Guardians, are they going to come back for this? Thor as well, but Thor seems like he's going to be doing his own thing, and he's about to probably go through a huge tone shift himself, so who knows what happens there. I think when you're talking about the ending of this movie in Phase 5, and I think people are hoping for a bigger haymaker from Marvel, and this being more of a jab of like, all right, here's where we're going, but we're not really going to 100% commit to anything here. I I think that's why a lot of people are just disappointed by it. And there was reports earlier this week at the time of this recording saying that Spider-Man was going to be the one, the main focus of the two Avengers movies, to which I think some people were just sitting there like, yeah, really, though, after you did all that work and made him more grounded? See, that's the problem. (laughs) What are you going to do, though? Because nobody else has been built up to that level Captain America should be, and I and I personally think he has as a character, but at the same time, he doesn't have the abilities for it. And I think Anthony Mackie said something about that, saying like, yeah, Sam doesn't have powers like everybody else. That's why I think you should have gave him fucking powers. Well, what, the whole thing, the reason why Cap led the Avengers, and the reason Falcon as a whole should not have been Cap, is because... Steve was able to command a presence. He got people to listen to him. Falcon is the guy who listens to you. And that's going to have to change now that he's Captain America. You were one of those people that wasn't totally on board with Sam being Captain America after Falcon Winter Soldier. You were like, yeah, it still isn't clicking here. But for people like me who was like, yeah, you know what? This is great. I like what they did with the development. Maybe Captain America 4 is that thing that might actually get you on board we'll just have to see but sitting right here after this movie and you're going who's on the avengers what are we going to see here yeah it sucks that ant-man and the wasp quantum mania is the movie that's getting all this hate but considering it was introducing the next big bad in marvel and i think people have more questions than answers about a direction that's where i think a lot of the frustration comes in and then when you get to the reports about Spider-Man being the main focus, while that makes a lot of sense, it also brings up a lot of questions about his next movie. So next movie, people are going to go, okay, so is he going to be grounded for one movie and then get sucked up into some Secret Wars shit? Which I guess happens all the time in Spider-Man stuff, but at the same yeah. time, how is this going to work in the movie? And again... I'm asking a lot of questions, and that's because that's what I think this movie does rather than give you a great direction in where the MCU is going. All we know is, oh, the Kangs are a threat, and that's, I guess, going to lead into Secret Wars? I don't know. Yeah, that, and that's also the reason why I felt like if you we were going to continue with Spider-Man, you should have kept him non-grounded. He's not going to deal with the grounded stuff when he goes to the Avengers. It's like you can only keep him as the rookie for so long. And after Endgame, yeah, there's no way he can be a rookie anymore. And so that's why I think, oh, putting him back to the grounded state just won't work. It's like at best you're going to see a Spider-Man who can barely keep up with the other Avengers, ironically being more of a Captain America level person than a person who can like actually keep on board with them with the Stark tech amplifying him and allowing him to like make his ideas a reality he can use his webs more creatively and stuff it's the irony of we want a grounded spider-man we want a grounded spider-man but you also want to keep him part of the avengers it works in the comics because the avengers is so big it's like spider can handle that other stuff in fact 
he's more of their but in the MCU they're going through this transitional phase which with some characters it's worked out for with others it really hasn't that's up for everybody who's watched these movies and shows to decide but at the same time right now we do not have a Robert Downey Jr. a Chris Evans we don't have the two main superheroes out there Captain America and Iron Man who are leading the franchise going forward Right now, we have, like, Doctor Strange, Captain Marvel. We have a new Black Panther. If Chadwick Boseman were still alive, I 100% believe he'd be leading everything going on with the Avengers right now. But they had to go through all these different things to create a new Black Panther, and I doubt Shuri's going to be in that position. So that's where, and we're talking about the MCU as a whole now, but I feel like Quantumania's kind of, sparked a lot of this and then some reports that came out this week also did so i feel that's where the conversation's coming from yeah Uh, but there's just so many questions right now about phase five a lot of great theories don't get me wrong i can talk three hours about like where (laughs) phase five can go and a lot of good things but i'm also greatly concerned by like where are we going to go with the avengers are you going to introduce the X-Men before phase six is over? Are you just going to wait and basically hit the reset button after secret wars as a fantastic four lead into this? Yeah. How does fantastic is fantastic four going to be the main leads in secret wars and Kane dynasty. And would that be a problem considering they're going to be introduced so late? Where does Deadpool fit in all these things that are, can't be answered in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, And it's unfair to ask them. But I think people at least wanted to come out of this movie going, all right, King the Conqueror, badass, the stakes were set, he's coming, and the MCU is not ready for it. That sounded a lot weirder than I wanted it to. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I totally agree. And I do, it's just a lot of stuff is up in the air. And for a movie that's supposed to direct us to the next part of the Marvel phases, this one just couldn't direct us it it didn't have a chance yeah so let's go back to talking about ant-man and the wasp quantumania here and i want to get your thoughts on the mid and post credit scenes before we kind of work our way backwards we're going to be like king the conqueror we're gonna jump through time yeah we're gonna jump through time yeah so we're gonna hit 88 tell me about those mid credit and post credit scenes what were your thoughts on them i did not talk about the post credit scene post credit scene i actually really liked the loki basically the scene from loki but Victor Timely. Yeah. It's a great little tease. Can't wait for Loki season two. Can't wait to see what Victor Timely is going to be in the MCU. And if that might just be Kane the Conqueror in a different form. Yeah, so Victor Timely in the comics is Kang. Like, sometimes I forget, like, that he, like, they are the same person. Sometimes, there was one point where it's like there was another version of him running around, but it's a whole thing. But I do like the post credit scene. It sets up Loki. And for a guy who was just meh about the about the first Loki season, I am excited to see where the second one goes. Since, like, now I'm all on board with this Loki's going to be more of a heroic Loki. Uh, but, yeah, I, I like it. It sets, up, it sets up Victor Timely and everything. Maybe he's a variant. Maybe this is the Kang from the movie just disguising himself. Maybe this is the, that Kang's origin story. Who knows? It leads to a lot of cool, like, speculation over the next Loki project, so that's cool. For the mid credit scene, it's Easter eggs. It's just set up in Easter eggs, and honestly, 
I don't care because I never really cared about Kang that much since Kang never holds a story for me. It's what Kang facilitates that makes a story interesting for me. So, yeah, it's okay. Uh, costumes are a little bit goofy. I like the Ramatut one just because I like Egyptian bling. I like the Egyptian style. So that's all you're getting from me. I've already, yeah, I was about to say, yeah, I kind of get my thoughts out about the mid credit scene already. I'm not going to really dive into it. I do want to go back to the ending because whenever we get, I don't know if I mentioned this already. I'm sorry if I did. But when when we get to the existential crisis of Scott and he's like, oh God, what have I done? And then he just like lets it go and he goes about his day and he's having the birthday party with Cassie and the rest of his family. And it's a great moment. And then that fear creeps back in and then they play it off at the last second as a joke. And for a movie that I thought did really well with emotional moments and not, you know, playing stuff off as jokes. That one, I think got me just because I'm like, I'm so tired of the MCU doing this. And even though this movie was so much better with it, I was like, it changes nothing. If you take that part away and you have the ending be Scott realizing like, Oh shit, stuff just got real. That should I go prepare? Should I go tell the other Avengers? Like, just this feeling of uneasiness with the character. And that's how you end it. Even with Kang, where he is, possibly dead, I feel like that gives you what Kang needed right there if you end it there. But instead, it's a one last joke because the cake sucked. Mm-hmm. So that that's my gripe with the very end of the movie. I know it's nitpicking and it's stupid, I realize it is just to me that's also a problem I really have now with Marvel in general. I didn't really have that problem as much before, but over the past two years, I feel like they've gotten worse and worse and worse. And I don't think it's going to get better for Marvel movies overall unless the writing gets better for them. And this is whenever we're going to get into the third act and the character arcs and stuff like that. That's where I think this movie fails, where it does really good is a lot of the acting, a lot of the performances, and really just a lot of set pieces, because I did think this game, or not this game, this movie was beautiful. It looked like a video game. Like, you a you expected... Game, I'll say that. Yeah, you expected Scott to turn around and you could be given control for a second there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, totally, I fully agree Agree and everything. It's like that end, the ending, like, it didn't need the joke. It really just needed... Scott to have that dread and everything. And even if he's going to, like, enjoy the birthday party, I really would add, like, something in that says, hey, I'll do it after the birthday, then have the joke and everything. So that way we know he's going to tell the others because not telling them is stupid. And Scott isn't stupid. He's a klutz. There's a difference. Why would you not tell them, hey, uh, so this guy who claimed to kill a bunch of Avengers in different timelines he said a lot of versions of him might be coming. I think we need to, like, do get more Avengers. Do the Avengers initiative and everything. Uh, really felt like that, need, that needs to be, like, stated everything. Because then the menace of Kang, at least, is still there in some way. It's just, you just had the joke. You had the stupid MCU joke. I also think the MCU jokes are getting a little tiresome because after how good Infinity War and Endgame are with the emotional moments, how they made us feel... And they had great jokes in there. That's the yeah. thing. The humor was great in Endgame and Infinity War. At least for me. I don't know how everybody else felt. Well, I think this was great for a lot of people because it was character-focused humor and stuff. And it's like, it's rare. It's rarely humor that felt like, oh, it's just 
stuff happening. Like with Tony commenting on Cap's butt just to get on his just to get on his ass and everything and make him feel uncomfortable. It's like that's Tony and Cap's relationship. That's how they act. And then Captain America commenting on it later and going, That is America's ass. I think it shows a little <laughs> bit of character growth for Steve to be like, you know what, I've been around in modern times so long I'm cursing now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas Age it... Ultron he was doing the language thing. I felt so yeah, there's like stuff there that I think you can go back to. Yeah, it's like that's it that's a thing. It's his that's his character arc in a nutshell. It's like he is becoming less of the oh, I'm like this perky, old-timey ways sort of superhero to be like, I'm still that, but I'm allowing myself to be able to curse and be like more He's living life. Like, yeah, he's living his life. Whole, yeah, that's the whole arc for Steve is he's learning to live life and he's following the Avengers and Tony and kind of taking his advice at the end. And there's a lot of great jokes in Infinity War and Endgame, but it feels like also post- that whenever we get into phase four it becomes less we're doing comedy because we're just we got to have something to splice in between the emotional moments and the action pieces and now it's the whole mcu is a comedy not every hero needs to be a quippy comedian yeah and this is not the right movie to be saying this i feel really bad talking about it here because ant-man and the wasp were pretty quippy to an extent ant-man far more but the Ant-Man movies have always been fun, just popcorn flicks. They haven't been this, like, oh shit, you need to see Ant-Man. You need to see Ant-Man and the Wasp. They haven't been those kind of movies. They've just been a great time at the movie theater. And in all honesty, that's what Quantumania is. It's nowhere near yeah. as bad as people have said it was. It's nowhere near, I think, as good as what I think some people have also said it was. And I feel like that's a lot of people just brushing over bad writing and the too many jokes and all that stuff. But at the same time, this is still a fun time at the theater. And when it comes to the MCU overall, I just, that's what I wish they'd learn from this is more the stuff we get from Scott in this movie and less of MODOK. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah. You want to talk about MODOK? Yes. Let's talk about MODOK. <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to go first, because getting into this, I think the problem with MODOK was that they did too good of his setup. They're like, oh, his enforcer is coming, and you see just like, oh, this guy, this thing with the face, and he's destroying all of the ships, he's doing so well, it's like, oh my god, this thing is a threat, this thing is good, this thing is, hello, Scott, wait, what? And it's... Fucking Darren. When I first saw that, I was like, it's, oh, it's the uh, Yellow Jacket guy. I didn't even remember your name was Darren. I just call you Yellow Jacket. But it's like, oh, it's him. And that's like, that's actually a smart way of introducing MODOK. The Pym Particles did this to him and everything. Okay, I can get with this. And then we get his origin and we hit the button. I was like, oh, no, he's a joke. He's not even threat. He's not going to be threatening like he was just before. He's just a joke. And it's true. He's just a joke. It's well, people like, are going to go, well, Modoc is already a joke. I think there's a difference. Like, for one, I, I got to get the elephant out of the room. I don't, I think this movie CGI is mostly pretty damn good. It's pretty, I don't want to say top tier, but it's, it's nowhere near as bad as some of the lower tier CGI fests. I didn't hate Love and Thunder CGI as much. 
Yeah, I didn't hate the CGI I Love with Thunder. I just think there was so much of it. God, God. Nothing hits the rhinos and Black Panther. That said, <laughs> something does come close, and that is Modoc. Modoc, it does not look all that good to me. I think, I think they just stretched out Corey Stoll's face, and I, I don't know. I think with Modoc, something that works for the character is it always looks like the dude's in pain, or yeah. like he's just. Like, his, his existence is pain. But at the same time, I get, like, oh, he is a joke. Yeah, he he looks ridiculous. There's no way around that. But at the same time, stuff like Drew was talking about, like, he was very menacing at the beginning, and then you made it just Yellow Jacket, and he's somehow goes through a redemption arc. That doesn't make any fucking sense. There's at no point to where I feel like Darren Cross can be a good person or redeem himself throughout yeah. any time we see him in an MCU movie. He fucking turns somebody into liquid in Ant-Man. When we see Darren Cross again, he is Modoc. He is still an asshole. He is still, as this movie puts it, a dick. And then, just because Cassie goes, why don't you just stop being a dick? He goes, you're right. And I'm gonna go try to stop Kane because he was, he's been an asshole to me as well. What?! What is this shit? Like, that's the stuff that I'm talking about, where it just it doesn't make any sense to me. And that's the bad writing aspect of it. Yeah. And just a small rewrite could have changed that. It's like with Cassie telling him, it's like, dude, it's like, you are such a dick. I can see why Kang beats you up all the time. He tried to kill her as a kid. Yeah, it's like, but he, well, all you have to do is make Cassie literally just manipulative or so, or like say, like, I can get why Kang beats you up all the time and makes yeah. time and everything. It's like, you're kind of, you, you're kind of useless. Like, I'm not useless. Like, look, the moment Kang figures out that you, that you didn't kill me, you know, he's going to kill you and then just leaves. And then he, and that's why he kills Kang. Like, get him before he can get him. It, it, I, I don't know. I feel like you could have just done so much better with the character and instead they just made him out to be a joke because they wanted to throw Modoc in there. And it's not even the Modoc that's in the comics. It's them using Yellowjacket as Modoc. Yeah. Also, this is this is a nitpick in all honesty, but one of the things of Modoc has always been there are these stretch marks on his face that show how his body got disfigured and it's kind of like scars. And, and it's like, that's kind of one of the things that shows like Modoc's existence is pain because he never shows it. He just, it's just on his character design and stuff. When you say he never shows it, he doesn't really emote. He yeah. shows it because that's the way just his face looks. <laughs> yeah. In general. And also for a, what, what did they say? It was a mental organism designed only for killing. Yeah. He doesn't feel like he's designed only for killing. Mechanical organism designed only for killing. At the beginning, he kills a few of the rebellion people, and he doesn't kill anybody else the whole rest of the movie. That's kind of a problem with both villains, because it's like, ah, oh, we can have we can have these awesome moments with our power, showing off how amazing and powerful we are, and then it's all forgotten. <laughs> At least Kang has that moment in the third act where he just comes down. And he's like, you know what, my minions aren't doing this. I'll I'll do it myself. I'll take down this rebellion, and he almost does. Like single handedly, almost just crushes this rebellion, and that would have been just awesome. But you know, we get ants. <laughs> Ants. We'll get to it. The answer was ants. The answer in Ant Man. <laughs> uh, uh, but talking about Modoc one last time here, this is something else with the MCU. It's not necessarily this movie's 
problem. But this is something that the MCU constantly does. And I'm just fucking sick of it. I'm sick of almost every MCU villain these days has some sympathetic backstory. And or gets redeemed at the end. Just let these villains be bastards. It's okay. Kang is a bastard. And he's fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. Now Thanos, is there a little bit of sympathy lost as people and... You know, you had that relationship that he did care about Gamora. Yeah, true. But he's also a fucking bastard. He, he killed is. half of the entire universe. It's one of the things that I like to tell people. It's like, yes, the villain has those problems. They he had the they had the one bad day or the bad life, and now they're evil and everything. He's like, cool. They're still evil and need to be taken down. Hell, it's not just MCU problem, Drew. Fucking Marvel, Sony did this with fucking Carnage. Oh yeah, sympathetic backstory. Not really sympathetic, but it was trying to give. It was one the audience to feel sympathetic towards him. At the end, it felt felt like I was like, no, he's fucking carnage. He's a serial killer. Guys, it's okay to have villains be villains. It's not real. (laughs) We're watching a movie. I'm not saying this to any people listening to this podcast. I'm not saying anybody who watches these movies. I'm saying this to the people who are writing this and going, we have to have every villain be redeemable and unique, and all of them have to get redeemed at the very end and be Avengers. No, it's okay to let bad guys be the bad guys. And sometimes you just need you just need an evil person to punch in the face. Sometimes it doesn't need to be complex. Just let them be evil. And that's what we get with Kang, and that's why I think a lot of people loved him so much. Is Yeah, he is a bit of a character. He has a little bit of nobility to him, or at least if he makes a promise, he'll follow up on it. Just that feeling that he would. But at the end of the day, he destroys universes. He goes down and he crushes rebellions, and he like, yeah, he's not a good person. He's a villain. He's and that's a why villain. I think people really loved it, other than Jonathan Majors being, you know, Jonathan Majors. He he really is just way too good in this role. <laughs> he really is. Even with some not-so-great writing. I would say, though, the writing for Kang is on point. Yeah. Like, this is basically Kang from the comics. They nailed that. Uh, you got any thoughts on third act overall? I guess the Rebellion stuff, too. I will say the Rebellion stuff, I talked about it in my general thoughts. I didn't care for it. William Jackson Harper's Quaz. Why? Why waste this very talented guy? Yeah, just a random telepath. <laughs> uh, my thoughts on Act Three. It really is kind of like the worst part of the movie, if I'm being honest. Like, but it's not like bad. It's just like, oh, all the buildup kind of feels kind of superfluous since like Kang was defeated or he didn't get out or anything <laughs> with uh, the rebellion and everything. I just don't care. I don't care about any of these characters. I don't care about the rebellion. I don't care that Kang conquered this place because, in all honesty. Doesn't seem like he's doing anything pretty bad. It just seems like, oh, he rules this place now. Okay. No, I do agree. I think if you were going to do this rebellion arc, you could do better than the generic, just every story that we see of a tyrannical ruler and a rebellion rising up to take him down. We just get kind of, I want to say stereotypes of those stories in this. And yeah. the main leader, I don't even remember the character's name, the the warrior who gets captured there later. I fucking hate whenever, like, a leader gets 
Like, like that leader character is an asshole to the main characters, but the main characters give them no reason to be. It's like, won't you just leave? Or you, the one that got me was like she said, "You led us here. You kidnapped them." Yeah, it's like what you are kidnapped- you talking about? <laughs> It's like, I never got that either. It's like, wait a minute, you kidnapped them here. They were literally just walking their own way. You found them and then brought them yeah. to your home. So what do you mean that they led came here? No, you brought him there. So, yeah, man, it's just, I, I don't care for the rebellion arc of this movie. I think it could have been just brought down to be more of a character piece. But uh, yeah. I guess that doesn't make it a MCU blockbuster if you don't have those action pieces. It sounds like I'm old man yelling at clouds. I'm sorry, but it's just I no feel like because MCU... I feel like that's a problem with the MCU in general. Yeah. And everything it's like you have to have action set pieces when you don't need them. And see, that's the thing. It's not this movie's fault, and I keep saying that, but then I keep blaming the movie. But I think it's just this is the culmination of a lot of issues I've been building up with the MCU, and I think a lot of people are kind of doing the same thing, where it's like we don't need this to be a cookie cutter movie. Just yeah. tell a story. Tell the story you want to tell. Put some action scenes in there. Give us a good villain and call it a day. Like, it shouldn't be this hard. You shouldn't have to stick to this formula or you're not going to make a billion dollars. You're the fucking MCU. You've already proven yourself. Even the worst stuff that you put out is going to make a shit ton of money. Look at Love and Thunder. Yeah, it made a lot of fucking money. And... I like a lot of this stuff. Don't get me wrong. I still love superhero movies. It's just that I think the MCU is getting complacent in what their stories are and what their characters are and what the writing is. And they're not caring about that. More so, they're caring about how big of a spectacle it could be. Yeah. And that's what like gets me because the potential for the story is there. Like, There's a great story here. And I said this so many times already. There's a great story here with Hope and and Scott and Cassie and Hank and Janet, just this ant family, and them trekking through the quantum realm and they're dealing with their shit. There's a great story there. And then Kang getting getting hold of Cassie and giving Scott this offer, going, Hey, you know what? Maybe I can give you some time that you lost. Maybe he gives the same offer that he gave Janet. That honestly would have been a lot better than just having Cassie hostage. Because Kang, if one, if there's one thing with Kang, if he makes you an offer, it's hard to say no. Because the man yeah. can do what he promises. And Kang, and Kang in the comics is willing to do what he promises. He's prideful. He's like Doctor Doom's levels of prideful. But it's like he can do what he promised. He has a bit of honor to him. And he will, like, do what he says. So we, so if he like told Scott, it's like, what if I could give you your time with your daughter back? I could make it so that way you never left for the quantum realm. I could make it so that way your daughter never ever goes to jail. She doesn't end up like you. And that would have been a huge, huge change in the story because that's like, oh my God. That said, you would have to explain how Kang knows all that. But I feel like you can find some time traveler. He but he's stuck. He's stuck in the. Well, he keeps saying like he killed a bunch of Avengers. So I'm like, okay, so this all has happened before for you. Mm -hmm. So it's like that's my 
That's my whole thing. It's no, like, you can come up with a reason for everything that you're saying there. And this isn't us going, again, clash at Sash, going, like, here's what you just should have done. We're just saying, hey, we do think it could have been done better. Here's just an example. If yeah. anybody listening has another example or likes what the way this movie does it, please let us know. I would love to hear your opinion. I really would. But Leave in the comments and, hey, we could respond, or maybe we could even, like, have an episode where we, like, talk about it or something. You never yeah. know. Love to hear what other people think about this because I feel like this movie, and I've mentioned this before a lot, it's getting a lot of flack for stuff that's really out of its control and it's more just the MCU overall. But it's the culmination of a lot of these issues. And going back to, for me, just going, it's less about the story and more about the spectacle. Stuff like the Rebellion. You could have done Rebellion stuff if you wanted to. You could have made it to where like Kang already stomped out the Rebellion by the time they got back. And that's something Janet would have had to reckon with. That because yeah. she left, the rebellion got destroyed. And she would have had to live with what can I like start the rebellion again against Kang? Can we actually save the quantum realm? Or maybe even have Bill Murray actually show off his op- acting chops and like blame Oh Bill her. Murray was a fucking waste in this movie. It's like honestly I was like, oh, Bill Murray's in this movie. I didn't see that coming okay what's he gonna do and he doesn't do anything he's just like douche guy that janet used to know and like apparently slept with bill murray in this movie came across as somebody who didn't want to be there i think that's a lot of his movies lately yeah i get it don't get me wrong these superhero movies aren't for everybody it's a paycheck you're doing a job i get it you don't have to love what you do but at the same time, it doesn't necessarily mean that me as the viewer who loves superhero movies wants to look at somebody who looks like they just don't want to be there. And they're putting out must half-assed, like, yeah, I'm just doing, doing some Bill Murray stuff and that's all I gotta do. Just play Bill Murray as a douchebag, which, yeah, there's a joke there. <laughs> I'm not gonna be the guy to say it. I'm not either. But I will say... One thing they nailed in this movie, we talked about many times already, is Kang the Conqueror as a character and the writing for Kang. And I think that is really exemplified with Kang meeting Scott Lang and then everything afterwards with Scott stealing the device for Kang, even though, like, they say it's a heist, but it's not really a heist. Yeah, because he's not really stealing anything. It's just, oh, you're the only one who can shrink down to do so. But at the same time, the writing for this is so good. When it comes to Kang being this all-knowing figure who sits there and he goes, You're an Avenger. Haven't I killed you before? Are you the one with a hammer? And st- it's stuff like that that builds Kang up to make you go, Oh shit, this guy is the real deal. He is not concerned. He doesn't even know which Avenger this is. That's how unconcerned mm-hmm. he is about them as a threat. Yeah, that also harkens back to something with Kang with sometimes he doesn't remember um who which avenger is which there's only a handful that he actually does and that's actually because he's lived so long and jumped through time so many times that stuff becomes a blur to him like it's kind of like how you can't remember what breakfast you had last week that's kang with the avengers and stuff it's like he it's like he respects them because they defeated him a bunch of times but at the same time it's like you guys are one enemy that i have to face in this never-ending time stream and sometimes I can't even remember who you are. That makes Kang a bit more than life. Ironically, that does come more from his Immortus variant, but hey, it still works. Yeah, and I will say, whenever we get into the part with Scott stealing the time device for Kang, 
I think it shows a lot of the differences between the two characters. And while I thought Ant-Man, to be the movie that introduces Kang, these are two characters that I think play off each other very well. Because Kang is so selfish. And Scott is so selfless. Yeah, it, it's, it works so well to where is, and I saw this fan theory on Reddit, and I'm so sorry, I don't remember the post of it, but uh, it basically was saying that Scott, when he's seeing all the possibilities of himself, the reason he can actually get it together, and they're all working together to get the device, is because they all had the same goal, to save Cassie. They are selfless. They are heroes, basically. Even the dumb Baskin-Robbins one that doesn't make any fucking sense. It's literally just there for a joke. How's that a possibility? Uh, besides the point. <laughs> see, see, when they had that, my I, my thought was, okay, that's the Scott that didn't become Ant-Man and everything. But then I was like, wait, where are the others then? <laughs> How do you get there? <laughs> what, are you, besides the point, this is a great part of the movie. And I talked about already like some of the emotional aspects of this and it just showing like how far Scott has come. And really showing the emotional range, I think, of Paul Rudd. You see that several times throughout this movie. And the fan theory was that Kang is still alive when he gets put into that time device, but he's doing the same thing that Scott was doing. He's seeing all the possibilities of himself. But that version of Kang, Kang the Conqueror, cannot work with himself. He is selfish. He wants to win at all costs. So he is just killing all possibilities of himself in there. And the one who emerges is going to be the one who has killed all possibilities. Honestly, sounds like a dope ass theory. That's I know that's the most badass fucking fan theory I've heard. I'm like, I want that to happen. Just him popping up at the end of King Dynasty and just going, oh no no no, these variants, they're nothing to toy with. And he just kills them, and he's like, you know what? I'm the real threat here. That's the shit that like all my problems with this movie. Except for, you know, the writing, the rebellion stuff, Bill Murray's character being wasted, stuff like that. Everything else with Kang and all, it would have been worth it. Because that really just builds up the character in one moment. And having something like that that they set up in this movie, oh, that'd be so good. And to show that difference between Ant-Man and Kang, to where, again, Scott would work with his other selves. They have one goal, they're selfless. And Kang being this selfish asshole who's like, no, I'm going... And he says it in this movie. What is he going to do? Win. Yeah. Those badass moments really make it so that way I kind of wanted Kang to win. Because then it's like, yo, he's a threat. My whole thing is like, even if he didn't, uh, if he like didn't kill anyone or anything, it's like just the fact that he could defeat the entire Ant family and that he's coming, he's got his device... He's out there in the multiverse. That would have also made it so that way Kang just is a super threat. It's like he took on three superpowered being, hyper intelligent ants, an entire rebellion, and he still won. Even without the fan theory, by the way, the part with Scott stealing the time device and also the stuff with Kang right before it, favorite part of the movie. Same. It's not even close. Like it's to me that <laughs> part of the movie is a ten out of ten. It is perfect Marvel shit right there. Even though the joke doesn't land with me for the Baskin Robbins, everything else about it hits. Even the thing with Modoc. I do not like Modoc in this movie, but when he was like, Darren, do you hear me? He says it like two more times. He's like, all right, Modoc. Yeah, what's up? 
Just the nonchalant <laughs> response to it was great. Just yeah. so good. Just this is what I think in terms of tone, in terms of quality. That's what I wanted the movie to be. Instead, we just got a good, sizable section of it, which is fine. And this was still a really fun movie. But yeah, I just think the potential for it was so much more. Yeah, I also do like that everything is sort of more like bacteria-based technology. That's also a good thing to use for the quantum realm, since like this is a microscopic realm. What's the most advanced stuff you could have here? Technically, bacteria. <laughs> it's like that would be that's honestly really well for a super for the microverse and stuff. So loving that, and yeah, I agree. The Scott stuff is my favorite part. And I also love when Hope comes in and it's when they work together that they're able to absorb their different parts. It shows like they can not only do they complement each other, they build each other up, make it so that way they are decisive and can be the best versions of themselves. That's why I love it when she came in to help Scott defeat Kang. It's like, yeah, it's like those two together are the dream team. A hundred percent. Love that. And honestly, I think they're technically the best couple in the MCU. It's like, Tony and Pepper's cool, but I don't feel, but I feel like they don't fully mesh, mostly because after Iron Man 3, we don't really get to see how Pepper views his superhero life. So, yeah, I kind of just, we just don't get to see Pepper's evolution with that. But with um, Hope, we see her evolution. We see how she first dislikes him, and really only because, like, he gets the suit and she doesn't. And then we get to see her become cool with the suit and everything and fall in love with him and stuff. And it's like we see their evolution together and why these two work as a great couple. I think that's the best part about the Ant-Man stories for me. Uh, But I want to get into some of the third act again before we wrap up. I think it was just a little too chaotic for its own good. You had the stuff with the ants, which, by the way, I kind of don't mind that. It reminded me a bit of, of Invincible. I honestly like the ant scene. I just felt like it, I just felt like that was the thing that defeated Kang. Kind of. Well, it was more Modok. I, I think I have more of an issue with Modok being the one because Modok was such a joke. I would rather him just get beat by ants than Modok being the one betraying. Well, also my well, also my biggest point. question would be how did he get out of the ants? I don't think they would let him live. These aren't like I think he just killed them all. I guess, but they're everywhere. It seemed like he'd been through some shit when we see him again. Yeah, it's like that suit. That suit is like gone, man. It's like you had one laser. But um, I like the ants. Modok, yeah, I don't like his death being like I could have been an Avenger, everything. Or no, I am, and I died in Avenger, everything. It's like joke wow. got me. That was good. I don't necessarily enjoy like I talked about it already the quick redemption, and all it took was Cassie going, "Stop being a dick." Like, what's wrong with you? And that's all it took. Like, what? <laughs> That's all That's all it took? Like, dude, you could have just gone to Baskin-Robbins with Scott and your life would have been better. You tried to kill a child in the last movie I saw you in. I don't think that just that child who's grown up telling you, hey, why don't you quit being an asshole? It's going to be the thing to make you change. However, uh, I do, like I said, I do love, uh, I do love, like, the ending was, you know, it's Scott and Hope defeating Kang. Like, my whole thing with that third act, it's like, it's not Scott himself. And I and I also like it because it's like Scott really isn't like a fighter and everything. Hope is so it's like if she was the bare knuckle brawler, I feel like she would have had a better chance. Uh, against I still don't think she had a chance though. <laughs> See the thing with Kang too is it came across as 
he's so smart and he's also so knowledgeable on how to fight that it was I I don't really have to even try to beat your ass. So I hope would have put up a better fight, but well, Scott got some hits in. That's why I feel like like hope would have been a better hand to hand thing, possibly. But uh, I I agree, man. Third act it does have some things, even though I talked about it being too chaotic. The ant stuff was actually pretty fine, all things considered. Um, the time dilation, like I said, it reminded me of Invincible with aliens there. Yeah. <laughs> Which was cool. It was nice to see that pay off as well and have Hank have something. I don't really know how I feel about Hank's character being like, I like ants. But uh, Janet being kind of supportive of that the entire movie was nice. It was just one of those like wholesome things. Not even comedy, just like wholesome. Of like, you know what? I love that you love him. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in this movie to love. And it's like this whole thing about family and connections and your found family. It's about potential, right? I think at the end of the day, for at least me and I think you as well, I think we look at this movie like it's really rewatchable for a lot of reasons. It's fun. The CGI is great. There's great performances. This is the introduction of Kang. But... At the end of the day, this is a movie coming out at a bad time for Marvel. Yeah. Where it had to be, I think, more for a lot of people. And not only that, I think it just also had potential as just an Ant-Man movie that it doesn't fully live up to. And not necessarily in the fun factor. Don't get me wrong. I've said fun more in this podcast episode than I have in any other podcast episode. I'm sorry for that. I wouldn't be, because it's like, that's the whole point of anime movies. That's what I was going to get to. That's, I, everybody brings that up, but at the same time, Ant-Man 1 had some emotion to it. Ant-Man 2, not so much. It was more of a comedy. But Ant-Man 1 had some nice emotional moments to it, and I feel like Ant-Man R.I.P. Anthony. potential for it. This is where this this is where my problems come to, and we're getting into final pros and cons, final thoughts. The potential of this movie was never met, and it could have. It really could have. Like, we were right there. It could have hit a 9 out of 10 for me. It could have been one of the top-tier MCU movies. But it just, it does so many things that I think are subpar or average or cookie-cutter that makes me just so disappointed by it while still leaving the theater going like, yeah, it was alright. It's exciting. So, I've already got my final thoughts out. Give me your final thoughts along with your pros and cons. Pros, the actors. While I did choose my three standout actors, I don't think there's a bad one in this one. Well, okay, Bill Murray, but it's like, I don't think that's his fault. I think it's the writing. Yeah, Bill Murray's a good actor, but in this movie, it is straight up Bill Murray being Bill Murray for one scene. And just, like, not needing to actually be there. Yeah. Yeah, but um, everyone acted their butts off in this, and it was pretty good. So, pro, all the actors. Other pro, the Quantum Realm is pretty neat. I like it from a design standpoint, from just a standpoint that this can not only access time, but the multiverse. That's a pretty cool thing as well. I like the time device scene, where and uh, just Scott and Hope, it's like... If we can, if they continue to have their story, it's like I would just very much like to see more of them working together. And also, if they're not married yet, show us the goddamn wedding. No off-screen wedding like Tony and Pepper. Cons, uh, the Rebellion storyline. Other con, Modok. He was cool when he first appeared. 
But I couldn't take him seriously after that. I didn't even believe for a second he killed Hank Pym when he crashed the ship and everything. Oh, wait, other pro. I like Zolum, like the guy with the weird energy face that shoots lasers. That was pretty yeah, cool. That guy yeah, was he, awesome. Yeah, he was awesome. Sad he died and everything, but it's like... Hey, at least somebody died in this movie. Yeah. Oh, by the way, that move that Kang used, it technically isn't a Kang move. It's actually from the X-Men. A guy named Gabriel Summers, a.k.a. Vulcan. That's his move. Nice little, uh, possible Easter egg. Possible Possible tease. Who knows? Possible Easter egg. Maybe he faced a Vulcan in the past. Who knows? But continuing on, uh, cons. The weird squid creature thing that you're supposed to eat. Like, that was kind of weird to me. The holes thing? That was a bit that was not funny to me. I was just sitting there like, this is a bit that they're continuing. They're going yeah. back to it. All right. Yeah. And also, like, just the way that Scott is kind of treated at the beginning, it's like, I get what they were going for. I don't think it was done right. It really felt like these guys kind of forgot this is his daughter. Like, literally. Like, again, guys, literally, this was one of his reasons for trying to be a good person, a good dad. He wanted to be there for his daughter. She's really like everything he fights for in the first two movies. Come on, guys. And just nothing, none of my other cons are anything to do with directly with Ant-Man, so I'm going to leave it at that. All right, let's go ahead and get out of here. Drew, what you working on? Where can people find you? You can find me on Fanfic World on YouTube, or you can find me on my social medias. I am currently working on some stuff, on some stuff for Genshin Impact. Well, like, not working on it like I'm working on Genshin Impact. Although, Genshin, I have some storyline ideas if you want. Call me up. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, like, I'm making some stuff for Genshin for anyone who plays the game and everything. I, I'm thinking of, like, stuff thinking of stuff to work with. However, the first thing I'm going to work with is what they could do to increase Geo, the worst element in the game. So, watch out for that one. As for my social medias, you can find me at DrewGarrison underscore on Twitter and Instagram. Hit me up, comment on my stuff, you know, engage. All right, let's get out of here. I want to thank Drew for joining me. I want to thank anyone for listening in. In a few weeks, we're going to have a spoiler talk on Creed 3. And to prepare for that, we are going to get out in the desert. We're going to hit a tire. We're going to do some running. We're going to get prepped for Creed 3 by taking a retrospect of taking a look back at Creed 2. So. Cannot wait for that episode. We'll see you then.